Hello, I'm Marilyn Flair. Welcome to the Play Lab podcast. This is the space where we share what we're learning from our research. Because of the pandemic, our production is through Zoom recordings. Today, our focus will be on what we are learning about infants and toddlers and how they experience STEM, science, technology, engineering and mathematics in childcare settings. Before we begin, I wish to introduce one of our fantastic members of our Conceptual Play Lab, who's been researching with us this very special cultural age period of infants and toddlers. Kulsum Jonsson, please tell us about you. Um, hello, uh, Marilyn. Um, my name's Kulsum, and I've been working um, in the Conceptual Play Lab, um, doing my PhD research for the last um, three and a half years. Um, and, and the experience has just been phenomenal. Um, when I started working with infants and toddlers, I had no idea. Now I have a little bit more idea and I'm still learning. And, and it's just such an amazing journey. And I'm so happy to be here with you today to talk about it and share about the experiences and um, perhaps um, listen to um, Kerry's interview as well. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing our other special guest, Kulsum, aren't we, um, Kerry, who's um, had some fantastic things to share with us um, later on. But before, before we get to, um, to Kerry, I was just thinking about how the infant and toddler period is such an under-researched area, so not a lot of work's been done in the area. And, and I guess there are many of our listeners will be curious about um, how, how do you do research in this particular a cultural age period because they're so young they can't fill in surveys <laughs> you can't do an interview with them so it is a real really an interesting challenging area and, and of course their language um, is not yet uh, fully mature so it's really hard to know what they're even thinking and so it's a it's an amazing period so Coulson I wonder if perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your research and um, and and how you've worked and how you've worked with this special uh, person uh, called Kerry? Um, my research focuses on um, infants and toddlers' um, um, transition into imaginary play, and um, it uses conceptual play worlds um, as a tool uh, to not only transition children to, into in imaginary play, but through it, how can they engage with concepts, science concepts to be more specific. Uh, because it's conceptual play worlds, it's science and it's imagination. And those are, are the two things that was in my mind when I when I embarked on this journey. I, that those are the two things that I knew. I didn't know anything else about infants. I did read, but there is um, such a limited amount of reading in terms of infants and toddlers research um, that I did get a sense of what it could be, but I, I'm not like total clarity. Uh, so um, I did go into, uh, I did dive into the um, deep end, but it was a journey of discovery and uh, a, a journey of en engaging with very young children and um, thinking that we, sh how, how capable they are. You know, sometimes we just figure out oh, they need uh, nappy change, they need to be fed. But we don't look beyond that. When given a chance, they, they actually take lead in their play and in their learning. And that's something that, that has stuck, struck, stuck with me um, over the past many years. And um, 
how how we pick up on their interest and how we uh, how we encourage them to engage uh, along with us at, as partners, not as some somebody someone who knows more than them, but somebody who's learning along with them, and and. Uh, and the discoveries that we made along the way through uh, through the project, not only my research, but through um, um, the conceptual playables, the laureate programmatic research, um, and, and it's still ongoing. There's so many um, findings that have been made, so many evidences that have been gathered, and there's so much more to uh, learn and so much more to uh, see. So um, that's that's where I'm going to stop at the moment, and I'm just going to uh, pa pass it on to Marilyn to... Yeah, well, it's it's so exciting um, to hear about that, Coulson, and uh, and such an important age period, and we don't know much about it, but your work is really significant because it's uh, giving us some really important insights. And you've been working together with Kerry on a conceptual play world, you know, the five characteristics of a story, creating the imaginary situation of that story, entering the story, jumping into the story and going on adventures and meeting problems that need science solutions. And um, But it's a really, when, when we've done the work previously, it's always been for much older children. And suddenly we're working with these really young people. Um, how, how is that possible? How did you and Kerry begin this? Should we listen to, to Kerry now and find out? Perhaps you can tell everyone a little bit about Kerry first. Uh, Kerry is uh, a, a, an amazing um, educator, senior educator who works with infants and toddlers in one of the centres. Um, and um, I, I spend a lot of time with her um, during my data collection. And um, we um, embarked on this journey together of learning, of engaging with infants and toddlers, learning from them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, finding out the possibilities uh, that uh, were uh, that could be brought forward using conceptual play wells. Um, so yeah, it would be great to listen to her now. So I just wanted to ask, how, how did it all start? Like, how did you think about the book? And um, yeah, just, just can we just well, talk through that? I think the thing is that we are... Uh, we're very rich in our literacy in the baby's room and we, we use books and um, it's a big part of our program. And, I mean, it should be part of every child's program in a way or the curriculum that you offer. And so books are a natural where we read books every day. We have um, favourites. Uh, then the children um, request books again and again and we look for those books that interest the children purely from a literary perspective and had not really thought of it when we think about STEM. So it was almost like taking something we're already doing and just looking at it differently. And then it took us off into this, this big adventure and it's made our program better. Is, is, and it's made us better. We see things in a different way. Um, I suppose the thing that I've said is we see STEM in everything we do. STEM was always there. We didn't recognise it maybe or we were unsure about things, but now we know we can see STEM everywhere and it's in everything children do, children are doing all day in their play and it's just up to us to pick up on those little moments and, and run with it. So, But doing the whole thing from a book base, it just gives you somewhere to start. For educators, it's comforting. It's sort of comfortable because you know literature, you know books, you know the children understand the story, 
and then you can just take it wherever you want it to go. And in all honesty, it went places we didn't expect because the children brought their ideas in and the children um, added to it and it wasn't all about us. It was about us as educators. It was us, the children, and the educators together. Yes, Gary, I was there to experience this amazing uh, phenomenon, so to say, isn't it? I've never expected something like that. And, um, you know, this programmatic research, that is what it is all about. It's testing groundbreaking play-based model for teaching STEM um, in early childhood, but very early on, infants and toddlers as well. Um, that big, brings me back to this interesting um, storybook that you had chosen, and it was very unique. Do you want to talk a little, tell us a little bit more about a storybook? Well, it was a it was a favorite. <coughs> it was a favorite story in the room. The children loved it. Um, we read it every day. Um, they were very familiar with the story. It wasn't a a, a big story. Um, there was a lot of rhyme and rhythm and um, characters that they were familiar with. Um, and it was about finding a following a tiger in the jungle and and his his little adventure. And um, I think what it, what was so lovely about it is is it, it, was, it had enough content that it, it gave us sort of that framework to work around, but it was also open enough that we could take it, take it in anywhere and it, it didn't matter. It wasn't sort of just one way and that was all. Um, and it, was, it felt a bit scary, like how do you pick a book, but every book has STEM in it. It's, it's not really about picking the right book. It's about picking the book that children are interested in. That, I think that's the thing that... We were thinking we had to pick the right one when, in fact, it's just pick a book they love and you'll find the STEM in it. You'll find um, what the children are interested in. And one of the first things that came up was what sounds do animals make? And I didn't know the sounds that some animals make. And so, um, for example, uh, what's the sound a rhinoceros makes? And what sound does a hippopotamus make? And uh, what does a giraffe say? And um it was even interesting then going off and researching that just purely from uh, with even with children under the age of two, you know, googling it and having that that um, sort of sound bite to to follow on with, and um, you know, you would ask the children what does the animal say, and they would repeat those sounds back, and they knew that you know, um, sort of uh, hippos sort of uh, grunt a bit, and um, giraffes hum, and um, uh, rhinoceros's squeal, which is not anything I expected, but it became this lovely thing. For they, I could model the research of an older sort of student or an older child, but then we took it back into the play and it was, it was just part of our everyday play. Um, yeah, so that's what we did. Um, Kerry, that's very interesting because I remember you be having a chat in the room and you telling me, you know, I learned something new. What kind of a sound does this particular animal make? And I went back and I looked into it and I learned a lot too. So I think we were all in it in that process. It's not only the toddlers, it was me, you, everyone who was involved in the conceptual player worlds. But um, and, and this book that you chose gave us this opportunity, gave you this opportunity to create this imaginary situation. Like you touched on it, upon it by saying that um, you could extend upon it. It was such an open-ended. Um, so how did you manage to create an imaginary situation? Um, oh, you, it, you know, I think that was, the, that was the bit that seemed daunting. And, I, and I've realised why it was daunting. It's daunting because I don't have 
the, the great imagination that young children have. And, and I think we as adults have lost our imagination, but they haven't. They are right there with their imagination. And you, you, once you let go of all the adulty stuff in your head and you step into the world, it, 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 is, it is easy to do. But it did feel a bit overwhelming at first. You know, you, you were worried, what if it doesn't work or what if the children don't get it? But they get it and then they take it where they want it to go. So we, um, there was a, a secondary character that was in the book, which was a flamingo, which had interested the children, although it wasn't a, um, a character that was sort of talked about in the book. And we decided as the characters in the book that we would go looking for the flamingo and we had to sort of work out how animals move and um, sort of what their habitat was like, you know. So flamingos, which I learned, you know, they stand in water. So we had to, you know, imagine and create all this imaginative world of, of different textures and different sensory things. Um, and uh, we, we had props, but we also found the props were helpful, but we didn't desperately need them because, again, I think the children's imagination was just so much better than ours. We we like the props because they help us, but they didn't need it. And once we stepped in, it, you know, we would we were swimming on the floor. It was just a vinyl floor, but we were swimming on it. And it was water and it was splashing us and everyone was involved in it. And you know, we went over and under and through and along and all we used all these lovely rich directional words and the children went with it. And um, we did have a flamingo that we found. Um, we, we, we bought a little, a little character of a flamingo that we, we sort of found and that was part of the story. Um, and the children, uh, again, because the tiger was a dominant character, we thought everyone would want to be a tiger, but not everyone did. And so everyone was happy being whatever they were comfortable being. Um, I suppose with older children, you could be more specific and assign roles. But with the babies, we just, if we needed to have five tigers or, you know, everyone wanted to be a hippo, that was, it wasn't, you're not as prescriptive where you can be a little bit more um, sort of orderly with older children because they can grasp that. With the younger children, you just go in the moment and it, it just it just goes. And um, I think that the hard bit for us was to keep up with their imagination because their imagination just, you know, went and suddenly I think at one point they were leading it. We, we'd sort of stepped back. We weren't even, you know, we our imagination failed us and they just kept on going and they repeated things. And, again, which is that is something the way babies learn is, you know, they like to repeat. So they, they went back through the water a second time and, you know, it was just, it just amazed me and I suppose I, I think of this uh this whole sort of research showing me that idea of, you know, having high expectations for children, to have high expectations with STEM, with babies, because it's there. It's just a matter of us tapping into it and using the tools that the project has shown us to really, you know, uncover the fact that children have rich imagination as babies. Um, yes, Kerry, that, what you're just sharing here is that it's taken me back to uh, that imaginary play space, which I was a part of too, and I cannot get it out of my thinking and system, how the children actually thought they were going under the river when they went under the um, table. 
Um, yeah, and, and that was just amazing to see. And like you said, they were leading at some point when uh, the play, even the play worlds were like over for that day, they would want to continue looking for the flamingo. That was just um, that was just um, incredible, isn't it? Um, but I just wanted you to, like you said, how you transition children um, by using props uh, into this imaginary situation of the play worlds. Can you touch base a little bit on like how it was in the beginning and how uh, slowly they began to um, kind of own it and understand the imaginary play space was them, theirs? Um, we, we, we put things out, uh, other experiences in the room that linked in. So we had um, some, we, we printed off um, body parts of the different animals and, um, and had the children sort of matching them or seeing that all the different types of tails, all the different types of noses and ears. So just to let the children understand that the animals were very different. And, um, but there's talking about it and just, um, uh, almost immersing yourself in things um, to give the children who I think are younger babies who maybe they don't have that term of reference that you have as an older person when you've learnt some knowledge. I suppose we're laying the groundwork with a bit of knowledge about the sounds animals make and their bodies and that um, we also went and bought some some props. We bought some stick-on tails of different um, animals and um, we had ears, but the children weren't as keen on the ears as we thought and even the suits they didn't need. But the tails were enough and it was interesting that um, where you think, oh, we need a whole, you know, you need, to be a bird you need all these feathers, you need like wings, but the children were happy holding one or two wings because I think, again, their imagination is much greater than ours and it's the little props um, sort of helped us. But, again, once the children started, they didn't need the tails because they were they were deeply in the characters. Um, they knew the sounds. They they you know pretended how they moved, um, and they also sort of like worked out rocks and climbing, um, and the different sort of uh, landscape we were on. Um, one story I will t tell you is that at the the day the first time we did a, a play world that night, one of the little girls' uh, mum arrived, and we were just talking about it. And uh, the little flamingo was in the corner of the room sitting in a pot. And, um, you know, I sort of said to Tilly, oh, the, the flamingo's over there. Show mummy. We, we, we went and found the flamingo. And she pulled her mum down onto the floor so that her mum could swim to the flamingo. And her mum's, like, getting down on the floor thinking, what am I doing? And then I realised that she's sort of telling her mum, you've got to swim over to that flamingo. And her mum sort of crawled over and I thought, how rich is that, that it's, you know, hours later and it's still that strong within her that her mum, you know, you can't just walk over to the flamingo, you've got to go through that play world that we created in our minds. So that was really, really amazing to me and made me realise that I need to expect more and, and, and provide more for the children, even at this young age. Yes, the imaginary, the imagination that came through from very young children was like very, um, very interesting. And I was just amazed at what was going on in your room in the play world. Uh, but it has, uh, like you talked about the props, I, I know, and you talked a little bit about the, um, you know, in interactions and discussions that you had with the children. Do you want to talk a little bit more? Because I, I know it, that was uh, one of the important factors that supported 
the children too. Yeah, I think what I did with the, we did with the children was that we we you know there's a lot of conversation and and noticing what's around you. So you know. Um, we're very lucky at the service I'm at where we have a really beautiful outdoor area. But again, using those descriptive words to describe things like the leaves and the trunks of the tree and the and even though you might not be in a play world, exposing children to those elements of that are sense are sensory and that are there's the textures, because then they can take that that moment of something, you know, the big rough rock they can take that into their imagination. So it's exposing children in their everyday play to um, those concepts that maybe they're getting, but you want to make sure that they're getting the, the language that connects the actual object or the item because you are bringing in richer words and deeper words. I think language became an important thing because we were bringing in new words and we were bringing in things to describe things that maybe we hadn't talked about before. Like, for example, the noises that animals make. I mean, children know dogs and cats and the farm animals, but these were African animals that we didn't know the sounds they make. And so just even going through that, having it there to listen to. Um, us being excited about it too. Um, that was the thing. I, and, you know, you said how much we all enjoyed learning. We all learned things. But us showing an excitement to learn and the, the fun of learning something and the sharing, um, and that became all of us are sharing. The children are sharing with us. Um, the children, you know, we, we found tigers um, in other stories and we talked about things that we didn't sort of make it all about the play world, but just it was there in all the environments and spaces they played with and, and you know, the texture of a, of a coat, of a lion, and you know, or a tiger and the sound it makes. There's so many elements to that, you know, even just, you know, their big strong muscles and their bones. It, you can take it so many places. Um, and we focused on uh, the sort of the habitat and how their bodies moved and just the differences in their bodies because flamingos are very different to tigers that are different to crocodiles and um, and even yeah the flamingo was a really interesting one because the children really adore really sort of adored that flamingo even though it was a very minor character it, it just it, it grabbed their attention and then we we, we couldn't find the flamingo because we it wasn't on every page of the book um, because it, it was just a sort of a background character so you know that we took that that story and then. We looked for it in in the world we're in, and um, we we had fun. And I think that's the that this turns learning into fun for children and fun for us. Um, it, it it sort of was, you know, anything new is scary or daunting at first. But as soon as we finished it, you know, Michelle and I were like, let's do this again. We want to see what else we can create. What else can happen? Where can we take it? Um, and it was really nice to get excited about something again and, and, and you know, it was interesting that this year our um, committee uh, wanted us to buy some STEM resources and it was easy to sort of not look at that sort of school model of um, what is science, what is technology and go back to how you would present STEM to babies and to, the resources were easy to buy because it wasn't that sort of school model of a science thing. It was science is in everything. So let's get diverse things that we can use in different ways. And, and um, we bought some blocks that 
uh, wooden, but have uh, like Lego shape, uh, like Lego piece shapes a bit, so that they will fit together with a bit more structure for the engineering side of things. Um, and it's only because we've seen how much they can do that you go, let's go deeper, let's make it richer, let's find something that um, it makes something almost a bit easier so that the building isn't about their skill level because we're getting blocks that help them build um, so that they can see what they've created. Um, and that's really exciting because it's another layer to the learning for the next play world. Um, we could bring in design and construction, which I probably wouldn't have even attempted um, before. But now I know that we can go as deep as the children's interests and as deep as, you know, where they're at. Kerry, I'm so excited to hear that you're already thinking about it and then you, you're more aware and, um, you know, the planning and the um, everything is so intentional on your part. Um, and, and that has to do with the active role that you took in, uh, you know, the first thing that you started um, I, I one thing I I have to go back now and ask you one thing I noticed during the playables is that all of the toddlers were uh, like participating like um, they were engaged in the imaginary playables like they were looking for the flamingo they were looking for the uh, lost snake um, and and they were leading it um, so you managed to create this uh, collective um, kind of imaginary space how how did you how did you manage to do that? Um, can you talk us through a little bit more uh, through it? It was like everyone was in it, like all the educators, all the toddlers in the room in that particular day when the filming was happening. <laughs> I think, I think. well, we didn't do it just once. And, again, that's how babies learn. Babies do things more than once. And we didn't care if it didn't go from the beginning to the middle to the end. If it just went off in drifted off, we were fine. Um, doing it repeatedly, um, for the child that's a bit unsure, the repetition is really, you know, um, reinforcing. And for the child that is is ready to move, it allows them to step up because some of our children went off and didn't need us at the end of that, you know, the the, the play world. They were, they were repeating it on their own and they were like, you know, you guys are just too much. We, we're, we're off and doing this on our own. But... Um, I think reading, we read the book all the time and when we read a book, it's not just, you know, the bland reading of a book. It's it's talking about things and discussing things. So um, I think you've got to think about the way you, uh, you teach and realise that you've got to enjoy it, you've got to appear to enjoy it and be excited about it. Your enthusiasm rubs off on the children. Um and you have to let go and go into that imagination because uh, it's it's easy to do when you believe it too and when you um, when you get into it. Um, but we teach like that anyway. Um, where we don't sit back, where where we like to be part of it. We like to show that we. I mean, we're learning just as much and we're excited by it. And then the children will come with you. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's something that we've noticed that um, if we're enthusiastic and if we're engaged, then they want to come with you because it looks interesting, it looks fun. And and then you can, once they're in that fun and that, that sort of um, engaged mode, 
they take over and they're 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 there. Um, but we 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 didn't um, we didn't make it hard and fast. So it, everyone. I mean, one of the things that Playwright talks about that, you know, not everyone has to be that main character. Everyone can take on a role and it's really your role as an educator to know the children, know their strengths, know their vulnerabilities or the, the challenges they have and then finding a spot for them. Um, it didn't matter if babies changed character where maybe uh, with older children or if you had this expectation they would stay with this one character. You know, well, you're, you're a tiger, you can't suddenly become a snake because it looks more interesting. We, we didn't have all those sort of pressures or those expectations on the children and so they, they found their comfort zone and we let them uh, have it. They, uh, they, um, they went with it because it looked interesting, exciting, and we were interested and excited about it as as educators. So, um, it, and the, after we did it once, it, it was easy to do it again because we understood then that it wasn't it wasn't hard and it was it was doable. And I I just keep saying to the other educators in other rooms, you've got to try it because it was so interesting and these children loved it. And um, you know it. I, for months later, you could ask the children what noises animals make and they knew. They would tell you the sounds, you know, that a, that a rhinoceros goes, ooh, ooh. They, you know, they had learnt something and it had stayed in, in with them. And so once you see that result, you, you want to keep trying it because it, it can take you places. And that, that is so, um, I'm so, I'm still so amazed by it, Carrie, because I have... Um, as I have been involved in various play worlds, but nothing to do with young children. And this was the first, and this has just taken my breath away, how you did everything and how the um, toddlers engaged in it. Um, so um, you, you've you mentioned before that you ha- you talked to other educators and you um, um, made them aware that it's possible, it's doable, and it's fun and it's exciting. Um, what what would you recommend? Um, um, would you recommend being part of the research to others? And um, you were talking about your plan about engineering and this. Can you just like talk a little bit more? It sounds very interesting. Well, I think the thing that I've realised is that um, you know STEM. It's not a new concept, but it, it, the idea of, you know, we all sort of science and maths sort of seems easy. The, the technology and the uh, engineering seem a bit, what? <laughs> like, how do I do engineering with babies? What do you, you know, what does that even mean? But it's when you break it down and you, you do have to go away and, and, and read a little bit and, and have a look at what that means. Um, but once you sort of are sort of, I hate saying this word, but unpack it. But once you sort of dig down and you you look at what the basics are, um, for example, one of the things I did in the baby's room was I put unit blocks in the room. You know, you should, uh, I don't know of, of all services, but, you know, we always have sets of unit blocks in the kinder rooms. And um, I said, no, no, we need some mathematical blocks. And unit blocks are mathematical and they're big. And I want them in there because that's maths and also in building is engineering. And um, 
I wasn't sure if they get used, and they they may not be used like older children, but they're used by babies, and um, every year children do something different with them. But they're there for them to build with, and they're there for us to model building, and then the children follow that interest, and um, you know, same and different, and or you know, just lining them up, you know, big and small and smaller. It, you, you, once you have those basics in the room, the children are exposed to it. And while I might not say engineering to a child, I look at the way the children build now as they're designing, um, where before I just called it, you know, construction or, you know, block building, but they're actually designing. I'm looking deeper at the simple tasks that a baby does and realising when that child is putting blocks on top, they're designing something. That's engineering. And it makes my planning um, deeper and richer and it makes our observations sort of, I can't I always write when I'm writing a little observation now, you know, I will put in and the, the, the child, you know, designed, you know, the blocks in this way. And it's the words that are even sort of stronger and have more um, expectation on their learning. So, you know, we have unit blocks in a baby baby's room they're not a full set we haven't added lots of accessories they're just the basics but they're there and whatever the children do with them will build on their learning through their through their early childhood years well uh, it's been many years since we did the flavors but you're still doing it that's that's like um, very uh, impressive Kerry um, and I'm, I'm and I'm inspired by you every day. Um, I know when we um, did the tables too, you were actually doing your own research. You were printing out um, academic papers, and you were talking to other educators about uh, how we can include STEM and uh, you know technology and engineering. And and there's something um, that um, I think I have not seen. Um, much more of. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that process? I think STEM, again, you know, STEM feels a bit daunting. Um, it, it, is it another special thing that you have to do? And I suppose it's about breaking down those big words into what it means. So maths is no longer um, daunting to me with babies because maths is about, you know, more, less, big, little, just those those beginning subjects and it's repeating it, repeating it with different um, materials in different ways, um, explaining things, using those rich words. I think I, I went away and looked up all the different words that mean big just to, again, think about the words that we use with children and what that, what that means because there's gigantic and there's huge and there's, you know, big. It's, it's not just big. It, there's lots of words and large and humongous and, um, and playing with, with language and the play world links literature and language, which is an everyday thing with children, it completely links you into STEM. Um, maths is an everyday thing that we do with babies, you know. Um, it, you know, sequencing, numbers, uh, uh, quantities, um, time, talking about time, um, uh, talking about order of next and later and before. And, you know, there's so many words there that you can use. And then it deepens things and children's language becomes richer then they are able to uh, use their imagination in a different way. Um, it, and the children take you there because 
I mean, the children that I have this year are very different to the children I had that year that we did the Play World. Um, we have some young babies who may or may not participate to that same level because of where they're at developmentally, but I still want them to see it and I want them to be exposed to the language, the, the concepts in a real-world, you know, way with blocks and, and, you know, stacking cups and, you know, filling things and emptying things, all those concrete ways so that when the things all connect up, their imagination can run because they've got those, those things in there. But maths is everywhere. Uh, technology is everywhere. We talk about technology in our room is a dustpan and brush is technology. It's a tool that, I mean, we talk a lot about digital technology, but technology is using a tool that, to make a job easier. So babies have technology all the way around them. You know, <clears throat> we have dustpans for the children to pretend to sweep up because that's making the job easier, um, using tools to help you with your tasks. Um, it doesn't have to be the end or the, the, the most, you know, advanced technology. It's the beginning technology. Um, using screwdrivers with babies. I know that this sounds might sound strange, but we we have uh, screws and screwdrivers with the babies. We have toys that are, have some batteries in them for um, sound and light. I change those batteries in front of the children. I show them you use a tool to make this thing open. Um, they're exposed to it. They see it and they experience it. And I will let the children have a little turn if they're interested because, again, it's that it's it's there in there every day. Um, I did have a little, a little girl once who used to always bring the toys with the uh, batteries to me and she'd say flat because she just learned that's what happened. If it didn't work, it was flat. And... Um, you want children to see the world around you and if something needs to be fixed, um, like we have a little doll's high chair and the, the screws got a bit loose, so I tightened them. And then one little boy, he was really curious about the screwdriver, so I let him have a hold. He systematically went round to each screw on this high chair and tightened it, pretended to. It's everywhere if you just see it in a different way. And part of that is learning and thinking differently and then you can excite other people and then it's not just you doing it on your own, you're doing it as a team and you're seeing the learning as a team. Gary, I just love the way you are being very intentional and doing it every day with the infants and toddlers, um, you know, um, introducing them to the everydayness of uh, the larger concepts. That's, that's so theoretical and so high level in itself. I, I would say from what I know. Um, and, and then I think you're doing an amazing, amazing um, work in, in your center with your children. And we would love to, um, you know, hear more about the playwells that you're planning on uh, technology and engineering. And maybe we can um, start brainstorming ideas. It's just, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, I think it's halfway through the year and I know we've had this sort of struggle in our whole world with COVID and, and you know, the separateness, but the children, um, I think the older children in my room who are, you know, sort of 18 months and above, they, they want that challenge. They, they, they will enjoy that challenge and that stimulation and, and their imaginations are so rich um, already that, you know, um, and it's little things that, that stimulate imagination. For example, I have this 
I went and bought wooden tea bags that I saw in a, in a toy shop just because I thought they looked fun. And um, a little boy last year, he was he's under he's um he was under eighteen months last year. He would always put one in a in a cup and bring it to me as a cup of tea. And so we're creating that imagination. And now he's he's so you know imaginative with things. And it's because you start small, but it's those little moments of you know just making a cup of tea, which he's seen happen at home. And you know it, it looks like a tea bag, so it helps him start that imagination off now. And you know he he's very good. He I, he's I said to his dad he's going to own a restaurant when he's bigger. He's already sort of doing the catering. Um, but it's imagination that you want to you want to start them off with. Um, and and noticing the things that interest them. For example, we have a laptop that we use. Um, and sometimes at the end of the day, when there's a few less children, you might check emails, and they would see us using a laptop. And of course, um, I managed to find some little toy wooden laptops and they would sit there and play away like they were you know on in the office and imitate me and use their imagination and you just want to fuel that imagination because that's where it's not like you do nothing and then you just do a play world and it happens you want to sort of lay the groundwork with the babies and give them all this sort of interest and it's you've got to notice and then you've got to sort of um sort of build it up and make it exciting and, and let them let them go with their imagination because I think now those babies wouldn't need that toy laptop. They, they've got it in their minds now and they've got that. They could do it with a piece of wood with nothing, but it would all be imaginative because you've, you've started them. Mary, I think that brings me back to uh, the um, motive of uh, the conceptual playables and the um, uh, research, programmatic research of Professor Marilyn Fleer that it's testing groundbreaking model, isn't it, of teaching mm -hmm. STEM and imagination is such a huge part of it. And it's we've been, uh, we've witnessed it, isn't it? So um, I, I am already looking forward to working with the infants and toddlers in your room and you and everybody else, all the other educators. Um, is, is there any... Um, Anything else that uh, you would want to share with us uh, about the professional development training that uh, or? Well, look, I just want to say to everyone out there, if you're, if you're watching this and you're thinking, yeah, but, or, oh, no, do it. I can't recommend it enough. A, it was interesting and exciting and got me excited as an educator. And it also brought us together as a team. But not only that, once you go through it, you will discover that there, it'll give you tools to use. I mean, it, it gives you, um, I think the thing that, one of the things that really interested me about this research, it wasn't like, let's do this research and do a paper and we'll tell you. It was, we're going to give you tools and things you can really use. And you really can find things that you can use. And so as educators, um, if someone's going to help you do your job um, easier um, and give you the things that will make things work and flow, I, I can't imagine not wanting to try it out. Um, and now that I know it works, going back to my doubt at the beginning, um, I want to see where it, can, where it can go because I'm only at the beginning of this and the children are at the beginning and, you know, I want to see how it goes and where they take it. It'll be so fascinating to see those children as you know, four and five year olds. Where are they taking this this um, this richness of imagination? And and it, 
you know, we all talk about how learning is all sort of interwoven. Um, Playworlds is is showing us that you you just you just weave it all together and it and it works. Terry, that was my next question. I think you've answered it. I was about to ask you, what would you tell others listening now and thinking of being a part of this research? Would you like to add? Um, do you know, I suppose the one thing I'll tell you is that I really did feel supported. I mean, at the beginning, I was a bit lost and I did feel very supported um, with the people, you know, all the people that were coming to the service and that we had meetings with and people that were available to talk to you because at first I was like, I don't know how to pick a book. I, I feel lost. And there was someone there to talk to me and I'd go, maybe this. And then once people start to help you and give you those conversations, you can then start to flesh it out. But I did, I felt supported all the way along um, and, um it was that that bit I was worried. I suppose you're always worried that they're going to just give you work to do and you've got to do it on your own. But I didn't, I felt like there were people with me all the way through. And so it, it was easier to, because um, I must admit, I think the first time, you know, we went for obvious books, you know, I think we went The Very Hungry Caterpillar, that's got counting in it. But it, it doesn't have to be that obvious. It's, it's a lot more because it's all about imagination. It doesn't have to be literal. And I think that's the thing that I got. I, I felt helped with. Um, Glucaria helped a lot with that because we were stuck with we have to find these very sciencey, mathsy books, I and mean, you don't. You just, it, it, it's a lot more flowier than that. It's a lot more easier than that. Um, and, yeah, that I, I felt very supported. And I would just say try it because, um I think what's interesting for me as an educator that five years or 10 years from now, there'll be some report somewhere or some article somewhere and it'll be about the amazingness of conceptual play worlds and I'll be able to say I was there at the beginning and I, <clears throat> and I really got to understand it myself and that's really exciting as an educator to change things. Wow, isn't it fantastic to hear from Kerry and how passionate she is about being involved in research, Coulson. You know, this must have been a really exciting journey that the two of you went on um, together to, uh, to really identify what's the best way to do this with infants and toddlers. And I, and, and I have to say I was totally um, mesmerised listening to her talk about how she, um, she found that um, we often underestimate what these really young people can do, infants and toddlers. And, you know, if that's that's such an important takeaway message for us as researchers, but also for educators too. So taking the time and um, creating the conditions, like with the conceptual play world, to really stretch and stretch us, stretch educators and stretch children in such really nice ways. You must have had such a good time together, Coulson. Uh, definitely, Marilyn. I think um, talking to her, um, in an interview was uh, very, uh, it brought back memories. And I, I was, I went back to the times when I was in the center. And um, I, I can't um, help but think when it all started and, in, and somewhere when she talks about it in the interview too, she mentions that when, when we started, she, she thought that how can educators do it? It's not possible, you know, but she she's mentions again and again that it was such a, uh, there was so much support um, and um, so much encouragement that it actually felt natural. Um, it didn't feel too labored. Um, and, and then we used to, I, I used to 
uh, go into the room and she used to say, oh, what do we do next? And I used to, uh, and we used to have a chat and we used to just discuss things. And, uh, and I used to tell her, even I don't know. So we, we really have to, we are learning together. Of course, and it's so so nice to hear this, um, your journey and, and also to hear the, the fabulous journey that Kerry went on with you. One, one of the things that I think you both um, touch on in different ways is how important it is to, uh, to, to be involved in research, to, to not just do the same thing every year, but to, to put the toe in the water and try something new and, um, and learn. And, and, and gosh, don't we need to learn so much more about this infant and toddler period? Because it's just, as you rightly said, Coulson, there's not much out there in the literature to guide people. And so, so it's important that uh, people such as yourself and the Conceptual Play Lab actually do this really important research because it helps it helps us in terms of um, supporting the policy because, you know, to make really good decisions about um, policy for infants and toddlers, we need research. So this is a really important area. And similarly, we for practice, research is so important for practice because it keeps us fresh and alive. And we heard how Kerry um, is still so motivated. And finally, um, as we're wrapping it up too, is to say that, um, um, this the, generating the evidence in the way that you've done and shared with us today, Coulson, is such a lovely experience for all of the people participating um, in the research. And it's and if if there are our listeners out there who are inspired and would like to um, join join us in this journey, please jump onto our. Um, our um, um, website because on our website we've just got so much so many resources that we've been developing so there's there's these pop-up play world starters for infants and toddlers and if you're working with older children we have those as well we have videos we've got a free app that you can download that shows these really beautiful practices of a conceptual play world with infants and toddlers and preschoolers and even school-aged children. So, so the website's packed with materials, but there's also a little spot where you can say you're interested in participating in our research as well. And, um, and you can have this rich experience as Coulson has had with us in the Conceptual Play Lab and, and Kerry as, as her wonderful participant and partner in this amazing journey. So thank you, Coulson, and, of course, um, Thank you to Kerry, but especially thank you to all the listeners today.